Begin in verse 10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone, or cursed is everyone, who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous man shall live by faith. By the way, uh, Martin Luther was doing just fine as he did his absolution on his knees in Rome reading the scripture until he got to this verse, the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not a faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is every one who hangs on a tree, in order that in Christ Jesus the, blessingness, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now there are some things that are either or issues. Can't be both, it's either or. You're either married or you're not married. You can't be I'm kind of married. Not for long you can't be that way. You're either alive or you're dead. Now there's some of you who are alive that look... <laughs> you're either 21 and above or you're under 21. You're either a Christian or a non-Christian. You can't be a part in the family of God and outside the family of God at the same, same time. And I'll go one step farther. You relate to God by grace through faith or you do not relate to God at all. You either relate to God by grace through faith or you do not relate to God at all. It is impossible to relate to God partially by faith and partially by works. It is not possible. They are either are issues. It'll be like you go to your neighbor's house tomorrow and she's uh, cooking up a pot of you know, tea, iced tea. And she makes a gallon of iced tea and serves it to you and says... Now I put a little dash of cyanide in that tea, not much, just a little dash. Would you drink that? I mean, it's either or, you see. You can't mix that with, you can't mix cyanide with tea. And you cannot mix grace and works. You either relate to God by grace through faith is the theme of Galatians, or you're not related to God at all. And if you mix works with grace, it's as spiritually deadly as cyanide. When I was a kid growing up, we, um, I remember listening, you know, some to the 
radio Bible class by the man by name of by a man named Dehan. Some of you does that ring a bell? Radio Bible class. Now I didn't get a whole lot out of that except this one statement I read by Dehan. Listen to this. It is, is the believer under grace or under the law? It's a basic either or proposition. It's either law, the law or it's grace. It can't be, he can't be under both. You're not saved partly by grace and partly by works of the law. Grace and law are not the same. They have a completely different function. It's not the question of grace and law. It's the question of grace or law. And he mentions three eras, eras, the era of legalism, the era of antinomianism, and the era of what he calls Galatianism. Legalism, are you listening, is the teaching that we're saved by works, by keeping the law or our own effort. We're justified before God by behavior and religion. Antinomianism means the, the law anti, anti the law. It's the idea that since you're saved by grace, you're free from the law to do as you please. Galatianism, he says, is more subtle. It's the belief that we're justified by faith alone, but after we're saved, we're kept by obedience and works of the law. We're saved by grace, but we're kept by works. Error. It's either or. You're either saved by grace through faith, period, or you're not saved at all. It's an either or issue. Now in verse 10, the apostle contrasts two ways to approach God. One way of approaching God is something we do. We keep the Ten Commandments. We do something that pleases Him. We earn His favor. We keep doing good things. And Paul says the result of that, strangely enough, the result of that is that you put yourself under the curse so that while I am expending all of this effort and all of these things that I do in order to gain God's favor, at the time that I'm doing it, I'm putting myself under the curse. The question is, what is the purpose of the law? The purpose of the law is to reveal God's perfect standard. It's to set up the ideal that we cannot reach. The purpose of the law is to establish for us once and for all that which God demands, the ideal, and the establishment of the reality that we can never reach that. That's the purpose of the law. Now I want you to take your Bible and hold the place here and turn to Romans chapter 3. And let your finger just run down the page to verse 19. There we are, chapter 3. 
Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. That every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. All the world has its mouth closed, that is, it has no defense. And all of the world is is inexcusable and inexcused and accountable to God because by the works of the law no flesh will be justified in His sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. What the law is to life is what the speed limit is to the highway. And you see this big sign, 55. If you go beyond it, you get a ticket. It's what this sign means when it's on the side of the, of the building. No parking. If you park there, you get a citation. No shoplifting. If you shoplift, you get indicted. The law is a flashing sign of warning. And the irony of it all is, is that the law in itself creates a desire to sin. Creates a desire to sin. A number of years ago, if you traveled down to Galveston, Texas, and you went out to the beach, you may have stayed at the, at the uh, hotel called the Flagship Hotel. It's a seven-story hotel that, that reaches out across, out into the gulf, literally out into the gulf. The gulf comes underneath the, the, the rooms that extend out. And, and, and these owners of the, of the uh, flagship hotel got to noticing some of the guys would go in their rooms up on the fifth or sixth floor and they'd get their you know, fishing rods and they'd cast out into the gulf and they had these big old hooks on them to get the, you know, the line way out in the gulf. And when they'd start to bring them in, these, these uh, big weights would come flying in and break the glass, the plate glass windows on the first floor. You know how they stopped people from doing that? You say, well, they put up a sign that read, no fishing. No, they took that sign down. In, the, in, every, in every room from floor four to floor seven, there was a sign on the, on, the, on the balcony that said, no fishing. And when they took the sign down, folks stopped fishing. The point is, that when the law says, don't do this, thou shalt not, it creates a desire in all of us to do that. You ever seen a sign that said, wet paint, do not touch, and, and you, didn't, you, you didn't touch it? Of course you did. With the law comes a knowledge of sin, and with the law comes the desire to sin, so that he who is under the law is under the curse. Now I want you to turn back to the book of Deuteronomy. That's uh, an Old Testament, Old Testament book, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And turn to chapter 27 and verse 14. Now, I want to read this down, and I want you to you know, help me out here now with this. Um, whenever you see the word amen, I want you to say amen. Okay, you will help me and give me a little response here. You understand what I'm saying? I'm going to read the verse. When you see the word amen, you say amen. Ready? 
Cursed is the man who makes an idol of, or a molten image, an abomination to the Lord. The work of the hands of the craftsman sets it up in secret, and all the people shall answer and say, Amen. That's it. You got it. Cursed is he who dishonors his father and mother, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is he who moves his neighbor's boundary mark, and all the people shall say, Amen. You're doing great. Skip to the last verse. Cursed is he who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them, and all the people shall say, Amen. You know what you've just done? You've just condemned yourself. Cursed is the man who does not do everything the law says. And you said, so be it. And that's the truth. Well, what is the purpose of the law? To reveal the standard and to show and to entice us to sin? What is the purpose of the law? To back us into a corner and show us how desperate we are? That's the truth. And if you're back in Galatians chapter 3, just jump ahead to the next weeks and look at verse 24. Therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ, that we may be justified by faith. He's our schoolmaster. Now for a long time I thought that that word meant that the law was the schoolmaster that taught us the way. That's not what it means the law is the schoolmaster that leads us to the teacher. And it's the picture of one in, in, in Paul's day that was, it was kind of like a, 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 a nanny where th this kid was raised by this man or he lived in the home of these wealthy people. And it was time for a little boy to go to school so he'd take the little boy by the hand and he'd lead him to the teacher. And what he's saying is that the law takes us by the hand and leads us to the Christ and he's the only one who can save. It's an either or issue. So along comes Jesus Christ and he says, I paid the penalty, come to me and come in me and you'll find favor in God's eyes. Now I got my, my little, book, little board here, brought, all, brought it in here and I... But I'm not going, and I thought, well, I'll just get down here and do a little deal here. But I want, tell what I want you to do. On your worksheet, I want you to take a pencil and draw a circle. Big as you can draw on your worksheet. Just draw a circle. Did you do that? You'll not go away from here tonight without understanding how to be saved. I'm telling you. You want to know how evangelical Believe us how Baptists believe that you are justified before God is the way it is. Now on the outer rim of that circle, I want you to write all of the events, summarize the events in the life of Jesus. You can start with a virgin birth. At, like it's a clock, it's on, it's at one o'clock, you put VB, virgin birth. When he was 12 years old, he grew in wisdom and stature. Just put that there, grew. When he was 30 years old, he came to fulfill all righteousness and he was baptized in the River Jordan. Put baptized there. He was tempted in the wilderness by Satan and overcame. He overcame temptation in the wilderness. 
He performed miracles. He taught great lessons. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. You put all that down there. You're coming around the outer rim of that circle. He was, he suffered in Gethsemane. He was brutalized by Caiaphas, the high priest. He was crucified. You're up at the top now of the circle. He was crucified, raised, ascended to the right hand, exalted in the right, at the right hand of God. All of that. You're doing shorthand, you're doing great. Now in the center of that circle, I want you to write the word God. In the center of the circle, write the word God. And out from that circle, out from God, you, write, you just draw a line to each one of those events and understand this. Are you listening? That as God looks out to the outer rim of that circle and sees everything that Jesus did, He sees the believer in everything He did. So that how He sees you he sees you in Jesus Christ. So that everything that Jesus can claim for himself or the witness can claim about Jesus, he can claim about you. And all that God sees in his Son, he sees you, sees of you in his Son. Now how is it that God can look out on the outer rim of the of, the, of Christology, of the, of the historical Jesus, and see you, it is because of your faith in Him. That's what He means when He says, we're justified by faith. Now, if you could like it, you know, if you want to liken the keeping of the law to a person pitching a perfect game, where were you when Don Larson pitched the perfect game in the World Series. The only time that ever happened. I was a senior in high school. Most of you, weren't, some of you weren't even born. He did do that. Don Larson pitched for the Yankees, a perfect game in the World Series. Now suppose your keeping of the law is pitching a perfect game and the only way that you can relate to God is by pitching a perfect game. It means that you would never throw anything but stripes. You say, well, that's not possible. That's right. In order to keep the law, as the Bible says, confirm everything that is there, you would have to pitch a perfect game, throw strikes, and nothing but strikes. Impossible. So the only way that I can rightly relate to God is not by my effort, but on the basis of His work. Now back to Deuteronomy. I hope you didn't drop the place there. If you got a New Testament tonight and that's all you've got, you won't you, you know, quit looking for it. It's not in there. Now, it's, in the, it's in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 21. One of the most thrilling things about the study of the Old Testament is that it pictures the principles of the New Testament. And verse 22 is a prediction of something to come. And if a man has committed a sin worthy of death, 
and he is put to death, you hang him on a tree. His corpse shall not hang all night on the tree, but you shall surely bury him on the same day, for he who is hanged is accursed of God, so that you do not defile your land, which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance. This is the prediction. By, by, by the way, let me say up front that when someone did a, a, was guilty of a sin worthy of death, they, they hung him on a tree. And when they died, they took him down. They didn't leave him there all night. And he's predicting the fact that one day someone would hang on a tree for you and me. And he hung on that tree. And all our guilt was transferred to him, the, in, the, innocent, the guilty for the innocent. And that led to his death. And he bore what we deserve to bear. And he paid the price that we deserve to pay. And when he did, he satisfied the demand of a holy God against sin. And in that one act, the law had done its work. And Jesus had accomplished our redemption. He was put to death for our sin. But it is amazing how many try to put one back under the law. As if his three questions. Question one. How could it be paradoxical that the law would curse someone? Listen to what Stott said. They express what the scripture everywhere tells us about God in relation to sin. Sin with immunity. For God is not a sin to men. Disobedience always brings us under the curse of God. So a God of wrath and judgment. We are heavy on love and mercy that's written on the wrath of God, but that's all a part of the balanced picture of His kingdom. The law has done its job. Second question, deliver us. Now mankind, because of his sin, we're behind bars. We're spiritually dead, the Bible says. And in order to be bought, to be delivered, He pays the price. And He delivers us. And so in all of these descriptions, you have what is justice is satisfied. Someone comes and pays us. Third question. Why in of chapter 3 answers that question? In order that in Christ you receive the promise of the Spirit. Now what is the promise of the Spirit? The promise of the Spirit. That's the promise of the Spirit. The promise of the Spirit is the Spirit Himself who comes to indwell a person. And He says, we receive the promise of the Holy Spirit who indwells us. And without the Spirit of God, no man is saved. He comes to indwell us through faith. The reason why everybody's not saved is because everybody, some of us, have not placed our faith in Jesus. Now let me say this with all of the compassion of my heart. There are some people who are good, moral, religious folks, members of churches, who have not trusted Jesus alone for salvation. Faith is the decision to trust God alone to save us. 
It's the decision to trust God's redemption through the cross of Jesus Christ. Faith is a response to God as He knocks on the door of our prison from which we can never escape apart from His help. Faith is the attitude which receives a place of sonship as a child of God. Faith receives forgiveness for the sins which otherwise curse us. Faith is the willingness to accept God's divine destiny for us. Faith is the desire to have a relationship with God akin to that of a child to his father. And not everybody is saved because not everybody exercises that faith. Not long ago, I was eating in a restaurant. Anybody who wants to keep up this tradition can go right ahead. Somebody was in the restaurant. I was, I was where I was eating. He came over to my table and visited with me a little while and, and left. When I got up to go and pay my check, and that's for my check, his waitress said, well, that good gentleman, that man that came over to your table, he picked up, the, he picked up your check and paid for your meal. Now, that's a subtle hint. Anybody wants to do that, just perfectly fine. Now, what if I had said, no, I'm going to pay for part of that. I'm going to make, I, I, no, I'm just not, I can't do that. Um, here's my money. You can take this money and I'll, you know, and give it back to the man or whatever. Um, then what he did would have been nullified. Now what happened at Calvary was Jesus paid it all and I accept his gift by faith. There are two lasting principles. I want you to get this and then we're out of here. Salvation is an either or proposition. You either accept by grace through faith apart from works or you don't have it. Second, deliverance from the curse depends upon Christ and not upon you. Deliverance from the curse depends upon Christ and not upon you. Let's pray. Father, if there is a single person in this room, one person who is depending on any other thing than Jesus Christ for his salvation, her salvation, bring that to their heart, their, bring that to light. And may that one who has not yet trusted Jesus alone would come tonight to trust Him, desiring a relationship that's personal based upon our faith in Christ. Let your Holy Spirit convict us, for I pray in Jesus' name and for His sake. There are three invitations. I want to invite you to come tonight. Let's be honest with ourselves and with God. Are we depending on Jesus 
for our salvation and Him alone. Maybe you need to join the church, coming tonight to place your life in the church or to rededicate your life to Christ. While we stand to sing, we invite you to come.